0: Welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner and thank you so much for joining us today. Today we have on Billy Berry, head baseball coach at Tennessee Wesleyan University. Billy was the head coach of TWU from 2005 to 2015 and then returned in July of 2017 after a two year stint at the Baylor School. Billy and Wesleyan have won two NAIA national championships during both of his stints, and in his 20 plus years of coaching, he has seen over 40 former players move on to professional baseball. Billy wants to continue to help young men use baseball as an avenue to get their education, to continue the Bulldog baseball success, and have kids that represent the school, their families, and the program with pride. So on the show, we talk about how he uses the Wesleyan tradition to ingrain the culture every year. We discuss how he helps players to own their career and hold them accountable. And he tells us how to attack the day every day. Here is Billy Barry. Billy, welcome to the show.
1: What's up, Jonathan? How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. We are uh, currently experiencing experiencing some 82 degree weather in Tulsa. So <laughs> it's really actually really nice. So you get up yeah. in the morning and it's like, is it like October or November yeah. down here? I, I don't know if you guys are doing that right now or, no, we're or experiencing anything like that, the but, same. but it's been good.
1: Yeah, yeah now we're experiencing the same 90 degree weather that we've experienced for the last however many years I've lived here. So
0: it's been tough. Yeah,
1: for sure. So
0: Fun times, fun times. But for our listeners who want to get to know you, can you give us a short snapshot of why you decided to get into coaching?
1: I can. So when I I went to I graduated from Bluefield College uh, in 1998 and had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. So uh, my dad was a was a CPA, so I convinced him um, to. Uh, trade out some work for an apartment complex that he was uh, he was doing b- the books for. And two of my other buddies, we moved into this apartment complex. I worked three part time jobs to make one full time job um, and didn't have a bank account and kind of just, you know, was, you know, baseball was over and was kind of just trying to figure out what to do. And and um, I, I did that for about six months. And uh, finally, my, the high school coach that I played for, John Morano, called me. And basically, uh, you know, he asked me, did I want to help with the with the high school program? And I was done with baseball, man. It was kind of like one of those deals where it was like, hey, man, I played. And now I'm going to, you know, enjoy whatever I missed while I was playing. And uh, so yeah, I kind of hemmed it hawed. I said, yeah, I'll think about it, whatever. And uh, and then he called me back uh, about a week later. And I think at that point in time, he kind of realized I wasn't doing a whole lot. Uh, and, uh, and kind of said, hey, this is really – I'm not asking you anymore. I'm kind of telling you this is what you're going to do. So I did it, and, and, man, the first year was 1999. I uh, got a chance to work with uh, a buddy of mine that I played with. Braxton Bell who was the other assistant. And uh, we won the state championship that year, the AAA state championship in Virginia. And, uh, man, from that point on, I was hooked. And so that's kind of where it started. It was two years uh, at Mills Godwin High School. Then it was two years at J.R. Tucker High School. I worked for a guy named Will Hicks. Uh, and then I made the leap and, uh, and, and got into college and went back to my alma mater in bluefield and, uh, and, and started there and then uh, the guy I was working for Greg uh, Greg Stewart was his name. Uh, he from out west and he and his family decided to move out west. I was in college baseball for two years and uh, had left my hometown and, and um, you know moved back to bluefield and so uh, he left and and they gave a 27-year-old a job that he probably wasn't qualified for. And and, uh, and so I got an opportunity to to be the head coach at Bluefield for two years. And uh, it was great for me because there was really a lot of – there wasn't a lot of expectation. You know, we had three-and-a-half scholarships, and uh, we're really not uh, – we were in the bottom half of the, the AAC conference at the time, which is the same conference that Wesleyan's in. Uh, but uh, we made a couple – you know, we, we won some – games and and we kind of made uh we made some noise in the tournament we actually beat weslin uh the first night my second year the first night of the tournament the 1-8 game and and um so i think that kind of maybe sparked some interest from some weslin people because their uh their head coach was leaving uh, at the end of the year Um, actually lawson was the head coach here from 2000 to 2005 And uh, he left in the middle of the year to take an area job with the Padres. So Willie Boss became the interim head coach. He was getting married that year and they had already told the school that he was moving to Chicago, uh, where his wife was from. And so he was on an interim tag. And then uh, in the summer of 2005, I was able to get the job here at Wesleyan and and been here ever since, except for a two year stint uh, from 2016, 16 and 17, I stepped away and then came back in, in 18. So all told I've been here now 13 years. So I, you know, I credit a lot to my high school coach because if he hadn't really pushed me, uh, to, to kind of get involved that first year, I'm not sure that I would have done this for a living. I, I don't know what I would have done. I had eventually had to figure something out, um, because I was kind of, but, You know, a lot of credit goes to him because I I think without his push and without his nudge on a on a 23 year old kid, I don't I don't think I'd be doing this for a living. So I'm always um, I don't talk to him near as much as I'd like to, uh, but uh, I always make it a point to to make sure that I that he knows how much I appreciate the fact that uh, uh, he got me into this and got me started.
0: I love that. And and I. (laughs) I think we all go through that, that moment when we, whenever we get done playing, no matter what level it is, we're, where we are just done, <laughs> like yeah. we're done with the game. And, yeah. and then you, you kind of go through some, some soul searching and you're like, man, it, you know, the game and the people that I was around more, even than the game, uh, they, they are kind of what bring me back. And, and I think I went through that. I know that I went through that, too. And that's that's so interesting. But let's talk about, so, you, so you've had several different steps along the way and you've had two at Westland, which is, which is pretty cool. Let's talk a little bit about that and whenever you took over the job in 2005. And so what were what were some of your first steps? So you you take the job, you interview, you go through the interview process, you get the job, you're excited, you tell your family, you tell your friends, and then you decided to do what? So what was like the vision like? What were some of your first steps? What did you go all in on and, and what did you decide was, was really important first?
1: I think the biggest thing was, one, I was scared to death because uh, I was 20... I think I was 29 when I got this job. So uh, I've always said that Tom Griffin got the Carson Newman job uh, so I could get the Weslin job because I think Carson, uh, I think Wesley, you know, Tom was an alum and, and he was up for the job as well. So, uh, but he, he got the opportunity to take the Carson Newman job. So I think the only reason why I got this job was because Tom Griffin got the Carson Newman job. But I was scared, man, to be honest with you, because I was coming from a program where there wasn't a whole lot of expectation to taking over a program where there was a huge amount of expectation. Um, So I think that was the first, just to kind of the fear of one, can I do this? You know, can I, can I kind of dig in and, and can I, uh, can I do this job and and keep it, you know, where it is and and try to move it forward. Um, So I made one of the, I think the best decision I ever made was I was very fortunate at the time that I had a relationship. I had a really good relationship with Ashley, which I still do to this day. And, and so I called him and, Basically, uh, I, you know, he was on the road with the Padres, and, and I basically just kind of asked. Him, I said, "Hey, man, would you come to Athens for, you know, maybe two or three days?" He was living in North Carolina at the time, and I said, "Would you come to Athens for a two or three days and let me sit down and just kind of pick your brain on, uh, you know, how the program works, what it does well, you know, those sort of things." I mean, you can see things from afar, uh, and you knew what made them good. I mean, they had really good players. They had. Uh, They were always, you know, so just technically sound and and things like that. But what are the inner working stuff of the finished product that I see on a Friday, Saturday when we play? You see what I'm saying? And so uh, he did that, man. And and honestly, it was awesome for me because it gave me such an understanding of the program. It gave me such an understanding of the way they practiced. It gave me such an understanding of the way they attack certain things. Um, And the biggest thing for me was to come in and not try to. Turn things upside down. Uh, you know, the program was winning and they were coming off you know, the year that I took the year that I took the, the year before I took the job. Uh, they'd made it to the Super Regionals. They were a two out of three series away from going to Lewiston. So, uh, you know, you've got a guy that's coming from a team that's, you know, middle of the pack to the bottom of the pack in your own league that's taking over now, the number one team in the conference. And, You know, what kind of credibility are you going to have if you walk in and say, hey, we're going to scrap everything that you guys have ever done and we're going to start this over new. So really what I did in my first couple of years is I adopted a lot of what they were already doing um, and kind of humbled myself to be able to say, hey, man, this might not be the way that I would do it, but this is, I think, going to be the smoothest transition for those kids and it's going to be the smoothest transition for me. So it's not broke right now, so let's not try to fix it. Um, And, you know, over the years, I think we've kind of, evolved into some different things that we'll probably get into later on. But I thought it was really important for those guys that were juniors or those those guys that were returning junior, you know, sophomores that were going to be juniors and juniors that were going to be seniors that we just kind of kept it as close to what they'd done as we possibly could because I felt like that would be the smoothest transition. And, you know, the first year we went back to the super regionals. And um, and I think a lot of that was a testament to uh, just keeping things very, very familiar to those guys and not trying to be the new guy that came in and go, Hey, you know, it's my job now. And, and I'm going to, uh, you know, we're going to do things this way. And and I think the biggest thing that you talk about here at Wesleyan is the tradition. And I think that was the one thing that I learned at, at a, at a really early age in this job is that the tradition is going to last no matter who the head coach is. And if you buy into that, and you humble yourself to it, then you can be really successful here.
0: Well, it's really good. And, and let's unpack that for just a second. So you, you talk about tradition and you guys have been a winning program, you know, before you took over. So, uh, you know, I've, I've been at, at several different schools and, and several different stops along the way as well. And there are some schools that have good tradition that lean on that. Mm-hmm. And there are some that lean on that to, I guess, in in a word, they they rely on that to to explain why it's important. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's kind of a there's an interesting dynamic there because you could say hey our tradition is so good that's why we're not going to change anything but but it's also it's something that you look to the past to be able to to see hey this is a really good program it's going to be a really good program and we're you know we're obviously it's a really cool team aspect to be able to do that together Mm -hmm. and to continue the tradition I I guess what I'm asking is what's what's kind of that balance between looking back to say hey this is our tradition this is what we've always done and then the kids are like. Hey, but this is our team. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is us here right now. It does and and you I'm sure you're the same thing. We we don't want to look back and say, "Hey, we've done all this in the past and and that's why it should continue." Right. But did you ever have to find a balance within that because I, I I don't know if it ever came up there, but I'm sure it has before and some other programs.
1: I think a lot of I think a lot of what you do is 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 kind of what you do with your teams each year. I mean, I know that we talk about uh you know, as far as the goal setting and and the things like that, I mean, obviously each team's going to be different with what they do, and I think each team kind of takes on its, you know, its own identity. Um, and 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 I think those things just morph into themselves. I don't think it's you set out in the fall and you say, okay, we're going to take the two thousand and you know twenty team and we're going to make it look just like the two thousand and eighteen. Um, I think it's just impossible to do that. I think the part that you lean on is, is the success of the program, that the faces have changed, but the success has stayed the same. And a lot of that has to do with the buy-in to, you know, the way that we practice or the way that we attack, you know, the games, the way that we go about, um, you know, our preparation and, and the, you know, the work that you do outside of, of, of practice and things like that. And I, and I think that's the thing mm-hmm that we look at is that, you know, when we were able to look at our, you know, when, you know, if you come up into our lounge area and you see our drafts there that, you know, and, and you can tell stories about, you know, that guy and somebody asked, Hey, what about this guy? And you can kind of reference, you know you know, what he was on the field, what he was in the classroom, what he was, you know, when it was 10 o'clock at night and, and, you know, we came up here to make recruiting calls on the West coast and that guy's in the indoor and he's hitting or, you know, whatever. So I think that's the part that it's not so much, hey, we need you to be like 2008 or we need you to be like 2009 or why can't you be more like the 2012 team? It's not that I, I don't think you compare teams to teams. I think what you do is you take the snapshots of those teams and and you just try to make sure that there's two or three things that will sustain over the years. And and those are really your those firm, grounded foundations that you have that you can really start with. You know, every house has a foundation. Um, And if you really look, most of those foundations, they're almost identical. Now, the house may be different when you build it to the top, but most of those foundations are pretty standard. And that's, I think, what we try to do is we try to kind of build off of our foundation. And then once we put the house up, we know that house is going to look different than some other house that maybe we built in the past. But that foundation is going to be the same. And and if we got a strong foundation, you can build whatever you want; it'll last.
0: Oh, really, really good, and 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 great answer to you know a tough question. It's just something that that I, I know that a lot of schools with a great tradition can lean on that. And I think that that's obviously a a big plus when whenever you have that. So I I think that that's really good. And you also mentioned, so you, you took the job and then you took a high school job for two years Mm -hmm. and then you came back. So was there anything, what, what was, take us through what that was like. Was, (laughs) was there some animosity with some of the guys that you had recruited before? I mean, just kind of walk us through it. Was there anything that had changed in those two years that you had to fix? And just, just tell, tell us your thought process behind that.
1: Yeah, I was 40, I was 40, over 40 years old and found out that I was going to, I had a, I had a sick at the time. uh, I had a. You know, I had two sons. I had one at the time who was uh, he was ten, uh, and the other one was uh, Brooksy was Brady was ten, and I think Brooksy was six. Uh, I think maybe something like that because my and I we found out we were having a daughter, um, and so we had tried and and you know just wasn't part of God's plan, and and so then obviously He had a different plan, and so I kind of had been here for ten years, and and really just started looking around and saying. You know, I really haven't seen a whole lot of my first son's life. I really haven't seen a whole lot of my second son's life. I, I kind of, you know, we had won a national championship in 2012. We kind of it was one of those things like I felt like that everything that we came here to do, we had kind of done. And, you know, I wanted to, you know, make sure that, the, you know, that everybody was proud of what we had done and how we done it. And there's some really important people to me, uh, that have coached here that I wanted to make sure that they were satisfied with what was going on. I felt like we were just in a good place, you know, like if we were in a place where if we were going to walk away, it was a good time to walk away. And, um, so, you know, I, I got the opportunity to, to go to, to the Baylor school in Chattanooga, which was a, which was a boarding school. And, um, you know, I was going to get the opportunity. We got to live on campus. My wife didn't have to work. And, you know, I kind of got to see the first, you know, a little bit, you know, the the kind of those cool stages of, of you know, your kids lives and and uh, things that i would missed with my son. So it wasn't the animosity. I mean, Wesson's was was a great place. It was great to me and my family. Um, when I left, I didn't have really any intentions about coming back or or doing anything. And um, but that was really it, man. Life kind of threw us, uh, you know, threw us kind of a change and, and um, we made a decision and adapted to it at the time. And and really it was probably the best thing for me because I think it gave me a different perspective. Uh, The kids at the Baylor school were incredible. Um, They were so motivated. Uh, They wanted so much to, to just work and learn. Um, And, and really it was kind of one of those deals where they were like sponges. And so you felt like you were kind of, I know in college, sometimes, you know, Yes, you're coaching, and yes, you're doing. But you're also—it's a lot of maintaining personalities. It's a lot of you know coaching personalities. It's a lot of coaching through life and those sort of things. But it was really like when we went to Baylor, it was almost like you kind of rolled your sleeves up, and it was like, okay, here's how you hit again, and here's how you uh, here's how you attack a ground ball, and here's how you run a coverage. And for some of those kids, they were seeing some of that for the first time in a different way, and and so it was really kind of cool. So it was almost like it kind of rejuvenated things a little bit for me, uh, so that when I came back. Um, it was a lot more i was a lot more excited than maybe i'd been the last couple years in, in like 14 and 15 and that's just kind of carried over to then uh, because uh, you know i think it goes back to the appreciation of the opportunities that you have and and uh, i appreciated so much that opportunity at baylor because i think it really it made me a better coach uh, moving forward i don't think um, without doing that i don't think i would have You know, I I think if I would have gotten out of baseball, then I would still be out. But I think uh, having the opportunity to just kind of take a step back and and do something that was different uh, and then come back to what you're comfortable doing uh, has made me a better coach.
0: Sure, sure. Completely get that and and completely understand the thought process behind that. Then that's really cool. And again, it was just something that that's unique that you got to be able to do. So I wanted you to be able to share that with our guests and myself. And so let's let's dig into the the nuts and bolts of what it's like on a daily basis there. So let's let's say that that we are starting a new year, which is it's crazy. And and for the guests that are listening, like five years down the road, we're currently going through the COVID nineteen crisis. And yeah. so uh, thoughts and prayers to everyone that, that's out there that's that is uh, being affected by that, which I think is all of us. But but anyway, so with the with the culture building aspect, so you got there early. Uh, you did a lot of the same things that they had done and put your own spin on them and then you left and then you came back and now you're continuing to build on the tradition that you guys have had. And I love that. I think that's a, that's absolutely fantastic. But tell us a little bit about what that looks like. So we can't we can't follow you around for a week, but what are some different things that you guys do, you and your staff, just on a daily basis that really cements what it what it's like to play for you or what it's like to be part of that program and just what are you guys doing that sets you guys apart
1: well I think it's different every year I think we try to keep it you know because you have so many returners and different things so I kind of you know when we talked yesterday I kind of went through and started kind of looking at the snapshot of what this year is going to look like and I thought it'd be great to kind of just put that out there as is kind of what our plans are you know with some of the things that we've done in the past and then some of the new things that we're going to do moving forward uh you know one of the things that we do is we always when we first get back we ask our guys you know a few questions and we kind of spend you know those weeks on those questions like we'll come in and and before practice you know we'll meet in our uh we've got a new team meeting room that uh that we renovated uh, this past year so we're excited about that and that's going to kind of be kind of the hub of where we start our day but you know, one of the questions that we ask on day one is, you know, what sacrifices are you willing to make to win it? And we really spend a little bit of time on the win, win it part, when it is capitalized, you know, in that, in that sentence. And I think it's a three-prong approach for us. And I think that the biggest part is understanding what the three prongs are, but understanding what order they are in. Um, and, and obviously, it's as a student, it's off the field and then it's on the field you know, and the decisions that our guys have to make on a daily basis to be able to be successful in those three areas. Um, You know, not everybody, you know, is going to go off and play after college, you know, for some, for most guys, this is it. Um, So there's a preparation that goes with not just making sure that we go out and we compete and we have a chance to win games, but there's also that preparation that they'll walk out of here with a degree. Uh, They'll walk out of here with an understanding of how to, exist in society, working a nine to five or working a job, whatever that job is, uh, being accountable, uh, making sure that they understand the value of time, making sure they understand the value of somebody else's time uh, and all those things. So that's really the first thing that we talk about, because the question that we ask is what does win it mean? Well, they're obviously, you know, try to win the national championship, try to win the conference, try to win this, try to win that. So it's really spending some time on that win it aspect. And making sure so that they understand that that's a that's a three prong approach, and then and again the order in which that you know the order in which that approach is should be um, you know prioritized I guess uh, you know then from there you know we kind of we ask some other questions and things like that, but then we really get down to what our core values are. And I think this is the one thing that kind of has separated you know our program a little bit. Maybe I don't know, um, but. You know, one of the biggest things that we talk about each day is is kind of, you know, if we practice on Monday, we practice on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, whatever. Each day this year is going to kind of carry a, a theme or it's going to kind of carry an expectation. Um, you know, so I think the one thing is is when you have 18 to 22 year olds uh, making them uncomfortable. They're always going to be comfortable on the field because that's what they know. Uh, but communication uh, and really digging into personal communication uh, is sometimes tough for them to talk about. Um, you know, they can sit. I've always said they. Can, I can sit in my office, and you can kind of hear the locker room from my office. It's you can just muddled talk, but you know it goes on forever. And then all of a sudden, we get into a team meeting aspect, or we get into practice, and they go dead silent. And and you can't get them to communicate. And and I've always thought that that's funny, that when they're comfortable and they're talking about, you know, just their day or or what they do or how they do it. It's an easy thing to talk about when they have to start talking about things that um, that mean something to them or people that mean something to them or, you know, sort of things. It's really hard for them to communicate. So just to give you an idea, like our core values are, you know, appreciation, enthusiasm, competitiveness, teamship. And then accountability, and each one has kind of a theme and, and kind of a sentence that kind of explains them underneath. But to give you an example, like Mondays, if we came like this year, we come out, we're gonna practice. We practice on Mondays. Mondays is an appreciation day, so you know we may look at uh, you know we may look at you, Jonathan, and you know sometime during practice, and we may say, "Hey, tell us the most important person that you're most that you're the most appreciative of, and why." Yeah, I love that. And now you take a 22 year old kid who you know is can talk about anything under the sun. And and now all of a sudden he's got to really talk about, you know, his mom who, uh, who he was raised by a single mom who uh, had to work, you know, a job and, and another one to get him to where he is and what that has meant to him or a brother or, or somebody like that. And now all of a sudden you start to see guys in a different light. And I think it just, it bonds guys together a little bit more um, when you have a better understanding, you know, uh, you know, when you look at, uh, the accountability piece, you know, in that line and that sentence and that accountability piece, you look at it and you say, okay, it says, it puts that I'm responsible for our team. We're responsible for our team and ourselves. So I always ask the question and I say, okay, give me the order in which that goes down. You know, and they'll kind of say, well, you know, this, that, you know, but it's making them understand that the, you're, you were responsible for the team first and yourself second. Um, you know, you've been in, you know, we've always seen it. Four guys live together, all right? Three guys show up on time, one guy shows up late. You look at the other three guys and you go, hey, where was Johnny when, you know, well he was asleep? Why didn't you wake him up? Well, Coach, it's not my responsibility to wake him up. I'm not his mother. No, we'll go look at our core values. Yes, it is your responsibility because you're responsible for the team first and yourself second, you know, and vice versa. So it's really, I think the biggest thing, I think the biggest change that I've seen in culture is that back in the, I think back in my first, you know, years or whatever, you tried to get lucky with culture. Hey, if we get the right guys together and they play well together, we'll have good culture. And I think as I've gotten older, uh, you know, the focus changes when I was 29 and 30 and 31, I was trying to win games because I thought that was the identity of how you move forward and how you got another job and how you, and I think as I've gotten older and and my kids have grown up and I've kind of watched that in my own home and seen that process and, and what that's looked like. That really makes you understand that culture is a is a it's a learned trait. If you have a plan to teach it um, and you've got open minded kids, you can teach culture and you can bond people together. Uh, And I think that's where for me, things have evolved so much for me in, in the coaching realm of things is that. You know, you used to try to culture was luck. Now you're trying to now you're trying to teach it, and, and I think um, I think that's the biggest change for me right now. So that's kind of you know just a snapshot of some of the things that we do uh, to to kind of create that culture. I mean, th- the way that we recruit, you know, a lot of the guys that we have are they're 24 months to 12 month guys. We don't do a lot of just straight guys that come from high school. It's a lot of transfers. It's a lot of JC guys. So you have a limited window. To really, uh, to really, kind of try to bond these guys together and, and get them kind of dialed into, to, to uh, you know, to what makes this program successful. Um, and it's not just what they do on the field; it's what they do. You know, it's that culture piece. And, and so, like I said, you have a limited amount of time, so the fall is so important for us to really hammer home, you know, who we are and what we want to be about, so that when we hit that when we hit the ground running in the spring, um, you know, whatever team we have uh, has, has a pretty good idea of, of what we need to be doing moving forward, uh, to be successful.
0: No, that's fantastic. And, and again, thank you so much for giving us a peek into desi- inside what you guys are doing on a daily basis, which is really, really cool and a ton of pra- practical examples. So I, I text a, a mutual friend of ours, Butch Jeff, and, and I said, what, what are some things I should ask Billy? <laughs> and, he, and he said, <laughs> <laughs> the the one that I could actually use, you know. Is that <laughs> ask him how. Ask him how he gets his players to play so hard. And I think that that's coming from Butch, and then obviously coming from a a coach from outside of the program, that's a huge compliment. Yeah. And so, walk us through, you know, what what you think uh, leads into that. One of the really cool things
1: that when I when I sat down all the, the you know my first year in that summer in those first three weeks, and and I asked. Uh, one of the things that was such a, it was so glaring to me that when you played a Wesleyan team, it was just the aggressiveness and it was just the, you know, the, the pace and how fast they played, but how controlled it was. And, and, um, you know, just, you know, the diving and the, you know, the, the just trying to take the extra base and do those things and making the dirt ball read. It was just so evident that that's, you know, part of what they were. And so, I asked Ashley and I said, you know, what, how do you, you know, and he said, Ashley was a big Duke basketball fan. Um, And so uh, he said, you know, the mentality that we wanted to take on when I was coaching here was, is we wanted to play Duke basketball on dirt. Uh, And then you go back and you watch a Mike Szeski coach team and you see how fast they play and how aggressive they are and, you know, smacking the floor, you know, to play defense. And one guy smacks the floor and then everybody else smacks the floor because that's what they, that locked everybody in. And it made really a whole lot of sense to me, and, and I started to kind of, you know, talk about how you know you build that process and do that. And I think our practices really speak to that. Um, you know, we don't uh, we practice fast, uh, and I think that's the one thing that is the biggest adjustment for our guys when they come in because we play, in some aspects at times, we play a walk around sport. Um, you know, it's, there's time in between pitches, there's time in between innings, there's time, you know, on a pitching change, there's, you know, there's also, there's a lot of standing around sometimes if you, if you make it idle time, you know what I mean? So a lot of the way that we practice, uh, a lot of the way that our drills are set up, a lot of the way that our scrimmages are set up, a lot of ways that we've set things up is built around the pace of the game and the speed of the game. And what we try to tell our guys is, we're going to practice at this pace. For some of you, it's going to be extremely difficult. After three weeks, you'll you'll get used to it and you'll figure it out. Uh, but, you know, we put an emphasis on uh, rewarding that kind of play. You know, when we do our scrimmages and, and things like that, you take an extra base, you make a dirt ball read, you make a dive and play, uh, you do those things, you're going to get rewarded. Your team's going to get rewarded with extra points or extra runs or whatever. The one thing that we don't want our guys to do is be afraid of? I'm not going to lay out for fear of this ball is going to the wall, or I'm not making that dirt ball read for fear I make the wrong read and I get thrown out, and it's the third out in the end. And I'm not, uh, I'm not, whatever it is. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw this ball across the infield. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw this ball to the backside bag for fear of throwing it away and that guy taking an extra base. Uh, we want our guys to be aggressive, and we promote that. We're okay with. Uh, you know, with those things, um, I'll I go back to, uh, you know, our national championship run in, in 2019. And I can go back to two back picks that got us out of huge innings uh, with two outs and they were back picks to third base. And if you don't promote and, and if you don't give guys the autonomy and the freedom to be able to make those plays in those times and then also be willing to take the consequence that goes with it, that guy's never going to make that play. And um, and so I think that's the part is, is just the way that we practice and the culture that we practice with and, and the speed that we practice with and really the expectation that we practice with. Um, there's been a lot of guys that have been sent home on a lot of days because they didn't want to live up to the expectation of, of how we practice. So there's been a lot of guys that have said this isn't for me because of the expectation of the way we practice. And the biggest goal for us, Jonathan, is we want the games to be easy for our guys, because what we want to do is practice at a pace. Uh, that forces the other team when they show up on game day to to play at a pace that they're not used to playing at uh, because we kind of pride ourselves on practices at a level uh, that uh, that you have to kind of move your way up to if you're going to play us and play as well.
0: Oh, really, really good. And again, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's some great information. And so you, so if they're not practicing hard, you just send them home?
1: A lot of times I said, and it doesn't, ha- it only happens a couple times. Uh, but, yeah, there's been times that, uh, that we've sent some high scholarship guys home that were Division one transfers that, uh, that walked in, you know, in week one and said, I'm not running a hard 90 every time I hit a ground ball. Well, maybe tomorrow you will. Um, so, you know, that's – I think sometimes you look at it and you go, you know, for most guys, this is the last house on the block. Nobody woke up uh, – I've said this a million times. Nobody woke up on signing day and laid down a – I'll use the state of Tennessee as an example. Nobody laid down a Vanderbilt hat, a Tennessee hat, and a Wesleyan hat and kind of did the whole shuffle and picked the Wesleyan hat. You know what I mean? So, for most guys, they're here because something didn't work out, uh, whether it be, um, you know, whether it be that they had to transfer because they were promised something they didn't get, uh, the playing time or whatever. Academically, they didn't make it. Uh, Something happened off the field. Everybody's got a story. And uh, and for most guys, this is the last house in the block, man. So I think that's made us who we are because once guys realize that, they realize that it can be a really special place uh, for them to to finish up their career and have a chance to win some games and still have the opportunity to move on and keep playing. But uh, I also think that there's times that they need to know that they're not doing us a favor by being here either.
0: I really like that you're holding uh, the values that you hold tightly, and you're holding them accountable for them after they already had it, you know, had it ingrained in them every single day. So I I think that that's really good. And, and do, has it, has it gotten to a point now where the players will do the same thing to them and you can kind of take a step back and let them handle it?
1: Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I can go back and reference, you know, players throughout the years who were great at those sort of things. I mean, Dale Ricketts, who was a catcher here uh, and Steven Branca, who uh, now is the baseball ops guy at the university of central Florida Uh, there were times in 2012 when those guys stopped practice and I didn't even have to, we were, you know, we were in a drill and we'd screwed it up three times and Dale Ricketts was from Australia. And he'd kind of, with that accent, go coach, give me a minute. And he pulls everybody up and, you know, 30 seconds later we're back to practice and it's like, okay, you can hit the next round ball. I got it taken care of. And so, Uh, Yeah, there's been times we've had some great leadership uh, that that was vocal. Uh, There's also been times that we've had some great leadership that was by example. Uh, Cole Belair and and Braden Mosley in 2019 were two guys that uh, that were both Division One transfers. Uh, You know, Braden was a transfer from Southeast Missouri State. You know, Cole was a transfer from the University of Illinois, Uh, and both guys weren't maybe as vocal leaders, uh, but the the way they went about their business and the example that they set on a daily basis uh, from off the field to in the classroom to, uh, to, you know, uh, to, uh, to on the field was outstanding. And so it just kind of made you look and say, Hey, you know, these are guys that, you know, have played at the highest level. These are guys that were successful playing at that level. And, um, and I've got to kind of match what they're doing, even though nobody's telling me I have to do it. It's the example that they set. So I think it's, uh, uh, I think it's yeah. a lot of times I've always said, I think in this program, uh, you know, when those guys that transfer down from Division one schools, uh, when they come into this program and, and they're always going to be some of them are always going to be your better players. And I've always said when those guys look like they when they get done with their eligibility, when those guys when you look back on it and those guys maybe played here for a year or two years or whatever, but you thought they'd started their career here, then it, those were probably some of your more successful teams because your better players were your were your best people.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And you ask the, I think that that if you ask the majority of our listeners, the best teams they ever coached or they played on, the coaches weren't the drivers of the bus. You know, they 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 may have been, I mean, physically driving the bus, but they weren't doing that on a daily basis. The the players were, and I, I think that you can think of numerous examples to be able to do that. And you mentioned earlier that you had a, uh, you talked about the recruiting trail. So I want to hit on that a little bit. Is there anything in particular that you look for? And you guys take a lot of JUCO guys, uh, or at least you mentioned that. And so, what are some things that you go out and you look for that you are like, okay, that's a Wesleyan guy right there? I think the first and foremost, man, is I've been
1: blessed with really, really good assistants that were really connected guys and that wanted to work and. You know, wanted to get out. I can go back and and think of you know Matt McGuire, who you know is now uh, just stepped down as the head coach at Roanoke College. Um, you look at John Hendricks, who John is now the pitching coach at Wake Forest, and uh, you look at Stephen Baker, who uh, was uh, is now the an area guy with the San Diego Padres. Uh, Brad Neffendorf, who is now the head coach at LSU Shreveport, and now Zach Sterner, uh, who sits in that spot, and Adam Larimore. Uh, who are our assistants now. And, and I think that's where it starts, man, is, is hiring these young guys who are hungry and, and, and want to get out there and want to work. And, and we're trying to do the same thing kind of at a young age that I was trying to do. We just try to, you know, get a job and see where the next one's going to be and, and, and kind of go from there. So I'm so appreciative of, of all those guys and, and what they've meant to to the program in the years that they were here. And, and Eric Moss, who, uh, who is now a, uh, the assistant athletic director at, uh, at University of North Alabama was here in uh, in, in 2007 so um, I think that's kind of where it starts so the next thing is is I don't know if there's a, a magic formula that we look at uh, or anything like that I think one uh, we have an idea of, of you know what kind of works for us what kind of kid works here uh, we don't really have a system that we recruit to I think it changes each year um, we're trying to find the best players uh, and and then kind of bring all those guys in in the fall and and, kind of, you know, just let them kind of shake a tree and see what falls out at the end of the fall. You know what I mean? And so uh, I I think the one thing that, that we do is we're not afraid to take anybody. Um, There's a ton of guys that have been on our roster that there was a mistake that was made that got them to where they were. Uh, I, I think with each guy that we recruit, the conversation that we have when we offer them, the opportunity to, you know, from a financial standpoint, and then the opportunity to, to, to be a part of the program. The one thing that we tell them is, is we use the white chalkboard, you know, mentality. And we say, hey, I want you to look on, I want you to visualize on this wall that there's a white chalkboard. Uh, and now I just put up, I'm, I just imagine that everything that has gotten you here, the, the, the grades, the off the field issue, the, the whatever it is, Now, what I want you to do, the empty promises, you know, whatever it is, uh, I want you to take it and and for the first time, somebody's going to wipe all that off. All right. So, now what do you see? You see a white chalkboard. There's nothing on it. So, from this point forward, I don't care what got you here. All I care about is what you decide to put on that chalkboard, you know, for the rest of your time here. And for most guys, I think it's almost a relief. Um, We never bring it up. I never look at, at some, you know, some, one of our kids who transferred, and the reason why he transferred is because he had an off the field issue. And they look at him and go, You're never going to change. It's just like when you went to so and so university. Um, you know, we don't bring them up. We don't talk about those things. We just give them an opportunity, but we tell them, If you're going to write the same story here that you wrote everywhere else, you're probably not going to last very long here either. And, um, you know, so I think there's a level of comfort to go, You know what? Okay, my, you know, my screw ups are in the past. and Uh, You know, I've always said that they should do a last chance to do for NAIA baseball or just NAIA sports and just pick a school because, you know, it's not you know, that's not necessarily what it is. But it's uh, it's it's a second and third chance place for for a lot of guys. And and it's really cool when you watch guys that are coming uh, from these places where they've had uh, where there was an expectation and they just didn't live up to it. And then to get a second or third shot, and and to watch the finished product walking out the door. Does it happen with everybody? No. Do we have we let guys go? Yeah. I mean, we've given guys that same opportunity, and they can't get out of their own way. Uh, but there's a lot more guys that that walk out the door that that uh, that have changed and and have kind of uh you know really kind of turned themselves into to what they wanted to be when they walked into whatever door they walked in when they were 18 years old, and and uh, so that's pretty cool too as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and let, let's hit on that a little bit. Let's talk about the ownership aspect, because again, you you and I both talked earlier about how the best teams are the ones that, that the players drive the bus. And I think the best players are the ones who own their own career. So I, I think that there are some parallels there. What are some different ways that, that you help players to do that? And I, I think that we're all kind of, we're reaching a point to where it's like, okay, we want our players to own their career, but how do we how do we do that? And I think the more tools that we can have in our toolbox, toolbox to be able to do that, it's obviously going to help us. But what are some different ways that you help your players with that?
1: I think you know, I think it's just the accountability piece. I mean, I think it's it's really just kind of staying. You know, I I the way I can explain it is, I remember we were in Lewiston uh, in two thousand nineteen. And uh, and Steve Les, who Steve is the assistant at Georgia Gwinnett. uh, And I've got a ton of respect for their program and and Jeremy and 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 Steve and Kyle and those guys. And so uh, we were we were at breakfast one morning and he said he said that he had was at breakfast the the morning before. And he said that one of our kids was eating kind of close to him in the lounge area, you know, because everybody's in different hotels and things like that. And he said he just kind of asked him, he said, what's it like playing at Wesleyan? Or what's it like playing for Coach Barry or, or something like that? And the kid said, he goes, in the fall, it's absolutely miserable. And he goes, what do you mean? And he goes, you, everything that we do wrong is, is, is addressed. Whether It doesn't matter what it is. It, it could be that my shirt tails out and, uh, you know, or my hat's, you know, not on the right way or, or something. But every single thing gets addressed. And, and he said that, uh, he said, but then all of a sudden you look up and it's like April and he hasn't said anything to anybody for two months. And he said, then you start to figure it out that, that it's tough, 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 tough till we get that aspect of, of we and everybody, you know, is on the same page and then he lets off and then it just kind of, you know, you kind of figure out what's going on and, 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 everybody's kind of bought into it and and you kind of go from there. Now, does that happen with every team? No. Now did that happen with the 2019 team? I guess, because the kids said it, I didn't say it. Um, But I think that's, you know, one of the biggest things that I've looked at is, is, is that uh, too many times we are afraid to discipline or to hold accountable our, our players, our kids, whatever, for fear that we're going to upset them for fear that they're not going to, you know, we live in, I mean, Jonathan, hell we live in a transfer world now, man. I mean, I don't like what's going on. I'm transferring. I don't like the way you talk to him transferring. I don't like the way I'm transferring. Um, So I think that we're afraid sometimes to take, you know, said player from said junior college or from said university and hold him to the same accountable standard that we're going to hold this other guy to, because we're afraid if we piss this guy off, he's going to leave. And and I think that's where is is the balance is that you know Nick Saban said I mean I, my program is going to be what I tolerate and um, and so you know it's not that I want to put my finger on him it's not that we as coaches want to put our finger on him it's just uh, we want to make sure that uh, that they're doing the things that they need to do on a daily basis to not just be successful for the year that they play with us or for the two years that they play with us but you know for when they you know, for when they become an adult and, and start having to, I call it adulting all the time. I mean, you're, when you start having to, you know, when you start adulting, which means, you know, when you start paying bills, when you start having to wake up and, and you know, not just get yourself ready, but you got to get two other kids ready. Or when you have got, when you were responsible for, for for somebody else's daughter or things like that. that, you know, they don't realize how close they are to that. You know what I mean? They're still thinking, I didn't realize how close I was to that. You know what I mean? I mean, I got out of school and it was like, you know, OK, I'm going to I'm going to take advantage of the four spring breaks that I didn't get because I had to go jump on a bus and go play somewhere. Uh, I'm going to you know, the next four years, I'm going to make up for the, the four years that I lost for somebody telling me where I had to be and what I had to do. And and all those things, I remember I said, I'm never going to the weight room again, you know, once I get out of school uh, and those sort of things. And, and all that comes back around. But I think that's just the biggest thing is that, um, you know, we we have a standard. Uh, it's a standard that has that has kind of, uh, you know, gone through many, many coaches, Coach you know, Wayne Norfleet, Coach Assey Lawson, Willie Bosk, uh, you know, Travis Watson, myself. I mean, it's you know, it's kind of like the face has changed, but the standard has stayed the same. And I think that's the biggest piece is is just making them understand that there's you know, there's a way that we're going to do things and it may not be the way that you've always done it. Uh, but we're not going to ask you to do. Anything. I'm not going to ask our kids to do anything that we as coaches wouldn't expect of our own kids or or expect of ourselves. And I think that's uh, and I think there's a level of respect that goes with that. So I thought it was a great compliment um, that obviously that he recognized that uh, that yeah things are tough in the fall. He's on us and, and it's, a, it's a it's it's kind of a constant thing. But you really kind of see it you know, back off and then it just becomes our team uh, as you go through the season into the postseason, and, and and, I, and, and he takes more of a backseat to what's going on because that's what his, his main focus in the fall is to get us to where we can kind of steer our own ship in the spring.
0: I love that. One of the things that I think that we, we have a lot and you, and you talked about, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to upset the player. And one of the things that, we as coaches, our job is to do is to help make them better. And so we, we've touched on the culture and the behavior aspect of it, but we, we also have to help them make changes on a field. And so let's say that, that sure. you're recruiting a guy and he's there, he's there for six weeks in the fall and you've noticed that he needs to make a change and we can we can talk about whatever you want. But yeah. what does that conversation look like with him? Because again, with me being familiar, more familiar with the swing than than with pitching, if I'm asking a player to change something in their swing, it's like asking them to change themselves because their swing <laughs> right. is part of themselves. And so sure. even, I, even I was and even you were hesitant to make those changes if we didn't have evidence or we didn't have trust in a relationship with said person. So take us through what a conversation like that would, would look like and and kind of walk us through it a little bit.
1: I think it's different for each, each guy. Like I think, you know, what our pitchers go through and what our hitters go through. And and I think it's two different things. I think one, it's the way you recruit. I think when you, when we recruit a high school kid, uh, and we've gotten, you know, we've gotten very fortunate to get some really high school, really good high school kids. Mm -hmm. But when you look at them and you say, okay, this is a guy that we can make some changes with, that we can do some things with. And, And we have those conversations sometimes during the recruiting process with the you know with the parents and with the kids uh these are some of the things that we see and these are some of the things that we'd like to you know maybe fool with a little bit and things like that uh, the other part is is the, when you recruit a 20 year old who's coming from his second year at juco or you recruit a 20 year old who's coming in as a junior from a division one school i just don't know how many changes you can make um i think the biggest thing is I think as the hitters, as our as as we approach hitting here, it's more about the mental aspect, how you're pitched, uh, you know what counts, uh, you know what you see, um, you know those sort of things, and it's really just that approach to uh, you know how you're being attacked, and and then and how you're attacking back. Uh, I've always said, you know, God told me one time that if you start kinkering with a guy. Like, You take a guy that's open and you close him up, or you take a guy that's closed and you open him up, or you take a guy that's got high hands and you drop him down or you take low hands and and pull him up and and those sort of things. Usually that's about a six-month process for that guy to, one, buy into it, and then about another six-month process for him to be able to relearn it. Uh, Well, nobody's got that kind of time. I don't have 12 months for a guy to go on the shelf because he's thinking about whether he wants to do it and then trying to figure out how to do it. So I think, you know, one, you have to be pretty sure about the guy that you're bringing in Uh, because that guy's got to, you know, that that guy's got to produce for you. And, um, you know, so I think the mentality, I think you can make some small tweaks here and there, you know, and and those sort of things. And again, I think it's a trust thing. I mean, I think that's where our assistants are so good is because they're so hands-on. And I think that's what's so great about this level is because there are no restrictions on time and things like that. Not that we overwork our guys or anything like that, but if it's 10 o'clock in the morning and one of our pitchers wants to grab Coach Sterner, and, and wants to get put on video, and wants to start tweaking mechanics and doing different things, he can do that uh, because you know we have that freedom to be able to do that. If one of our hitters wants to come in at 10 o'clock in the morning and and grab Coach Laramore and 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 get in there and, uh, and 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 you know start working on hand path or you know, shorten it up a little bit or direction and things like that, they can go in there and do that. So I think one, it's the trust that's built. Um, and like I said, I think you made it a point to say a conversation. I think that's always the most important thing is to sit down uh, to make sure that uh, what you're seeing with that guy's swing or with the way he feels the ground bar with the way his mechanics are on the mound is the same thing that he sees because if you're trying to fix a problem for somebody that doesn't think they have a problem, then you know, that's going to be a little bit of a process. So I think the conversation is key uh, and it's making them understand that there's some things that we see uh, that would make a huge improvement on, uh, you know, what they do in the box or what they do in the dirt or what they do on the mound.
0: I love it. Love it. I, I love the depth behind that and giving the different examples from the different players that you work with. That's really, really good. Let's talk a little bit about competition. And you obviously, you sound like a competitive person. And, and that's what we've, we've talked about quite a bit. And we're, we're always trying to use different competitions and different practices. So what are some different ones that we can steal from you?
1: We end every day with some kind of competition. Um, you know, we kind of, there's always a winner, there's a loser. Uh, some of ours are maybe a little bit more out of the box than, uh, than, than what others have done. Obviously, you know, coach pitch scrimmages, um, you know, we always try to do some of those machine pitch scrimmages. We do some of that. Uh, you know, uh, we do some point games where we kind of turn the scoreboard off, and and it's you know it's all built around uh, points. So you know we may say that uh, you know a dirt ball read is this many points, a diving play is this many points, uh, you know getting out of the box and, and turning a single into the double is this many points, and and um, and really take the negative off of it and just kind of get the positive into it. Uh, so you know the way we do our fall World Series, I think, is interesting. Uh, We play a best two out of three at our fall world series, but we don't play two out of three that if the first two games are won by the same team and the series is over, what we do is, is we play all three games. And then during that process, we play, it's the total number of runs hits combined over a three game set. uh, And then whatever errors are made, you take off that total score. So technically somebody could win, all three games, but they could get out hit and then that total score. So really what it does is it takes the emphasis off the scoreboard and it really puts the emphasis on the person getting their job done because the more hits I get, the more runs I score, the less errors we make because this is an overall competition and it's not just built on just the game. I think sometimes we get wrapped up in just the game. Um, you know, I've always said that there's times and you've probably seen it in your coaching career where we played terrible, got nothing out of the day, and we won three to one against a team that uh, may not be on the same level as us. And I understand that that's baseball, but your kids walk out of the park and they think well, we won the game. Well, we didn't really win. We won the game, but we really didn't win the day. And I think that's the most important thing to us is how many days are we winning, not how many games are we winning. And um, and so that's why we kind of compete at the end of practice. One of the other cool things that we do, we do a seven in a row. We do a nine hit in a row drill where we split them up into two teams of nine. Uh Put them on opposite sides of the of the shell. Uh, the conversation gets pretty spirited, as uh, but the goal is just to go in there and off our guy, you know, off our assistant that's throwing BP, just get nine consecutive hits. Just put the ball in play, you know, nine times to where you're working nine hits. And uh, and one of our other assistants or myself is the judge, and it's really interesting to hear the conversations from the other team. Uh, because we kind of let them jaw at one another a little bit. And so it's always interesting when you get to six and seven hits in a row, how spirited some of the conversations get that we almost have to back them off a little bit. But uh, but we were trying to create an environment that just uh, nobody wants to lose. You know, and we're trying to create an environment where uh, the guys are going to, you know, that, that last 20 minutes of practice or 25 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever we set aside, that one, they look forward to it. And two, they're going to get after it because they know that uh, that when practice is over with, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. And uh, and I think that's just kind of the way life is. I mean, there's going to be days that there's days that I've walked out of here and and, you know, we didn't you know we maybe had three recruiting calls and we got turned down three times. And, you know, I'm defeated, you know, and, and it's, a, it's I go home and it's a rough night, you know, and and uh, we lost that day. We didn't just couldn't figure out a way to get those three guys to pull the trigger to come here. Uh, somebody else did a better job than we did. you go home and, and again, we you know, we won the day. And, uh, so I think that's what you just try to impress upon them is, is understanding the value of competition, but also understanding what competition means. And uh, so, yeah, so I think that's, you know, like I said, I don't know if we do anything that's really uh, better or worse than what somebody else does. But I think there's just interesting ways – uh, to compete. I mean, there's days that we don't do anything with a baseball. We come in and, and uh, we split them up into four teams. And, uh, you know, we may do a, a, a situation. you know, we may, we've done it where we've done uh, plate loaded, uh, you know, uh, uh, relay races around the bases where, you know, one team starts on one side of home plate, the other team starts on the other side of home plate Your you're timing guys and, and they're doing it with 45 pound plates and they're, they're having to touch third and whoever gets the second first and the amount of time, and that may be one competition that we do. And then we may move to another competition uh, where it's a a tug of war uh, and all four teams are competing in a double elimination. We've done dodgeball tournaments, uh, you know, so there's days during the fall when we don't even uh, pick up a baseball, we just kind of get them out of, of baseball, but we have them compete in stuff that they competed in when they were, you know, in the sixth grade or fifth grade in elementary school and middle school. And, uh, or a wiffle ball game or something, but, you know, the fall can be monotonous. So I think you really have to kind of get creative with how you go about, uh, you know, uh, you can only play the same face in the same Jersey so long before it gets kind of stale. So I think those are the, probably the creative things that we do is, is, uh, you know, we go to the wide, we have, uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, we have them jump in the pool and we do relay races, you know, in the pool. Uh, and it's so funny because you see the guys that are pretty athletic that can swim and the guys that you think are pretty athletic that can't swim, uh, or they, <laughs> they, they call it swimming. You know what I mean? So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's the thing is, man, just get out of your comfort zone, and, and it doesn't have to be baseball all the time. If you really want to watch kids compete on something, put them in something that has nothing to do with baseball that little kids do, and watch 18- to 22-year-old kids go nuts. And, and, and you really start to find out, you know, the guys that are going to compete uh, because they're not too cool to play dodgeball. They're not too cool to, to, to uh, you know, to to do the tug of war. They're not too cool to jump in a pool or, or, or whatever it is that you're not too cool to play a wiffle ball game. Um, you know, that they get in there and you go, you really kind of get surprised sometimes because you start to see some of these quiet guys that, that are kind of unassuming. Uh, and then all of a sudden you put them in a competitive situation where they're doing something that's fun and it's not baseball related. You start to kind of look around and go, man, that guy, you know, when push comes to shove, I'm gonna put that guy. You know, I'll, I'll walk down the alley with that guy. Uh, and I wouldn't have known that if we would have just been playing. Because for most of them, baseballs, it's it's where they're comfortable. Um, it's what they've done their entire life. It's what they came here to do. You know, to get their education to play. So now all of a sudden, we put them in something that has nothing to do with baseball. It has nothing to do with playing a baseball game, turning on the scoreboard, playing nine innings getting three outs and you start to find out a little bit more about some of your individuals, which is pretty cool.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Nailed that one. I love that. So we're going to go ahead and skip to the lightning section. And so these are just some quick hitter questions. just want to hear your thoughts. If, if I don't, if I don't provide any commentary, then, then, uh, obviously you, you did a great job, but what's right. something that, uh, what, what is the biggest lesson that you learned as a young coach?
1: man, is that it's not about me. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. It's, it's, you know, I, I think the one thing, my biggest regret in, in my career, in, in this career or whatever you want to call it is, you know, the amount of relationships that i probably left on the table, um, because of, of, you know, thinking that it was about me and it was about, uh, you know, the wins and, and maybe getting the next opportunity or, or whatever. And I think, once I learned, uh, that, uh, that I, I don't really matter that much, um, that I have a there's a, there's a job that I have to do. And, and, and if I do that job and, and, and our kids are successful, then you don't really even know that, uh, you know, that anybody else was a part of it besides that. So I think that's, if I could go back and do anything, man, it, it would be that it's, it's not about me and, and to put myself, you know, you know, really at the back burner of what goes on and, and promote, uh, you know, whatever program it was or whatever kid it was a lot more.
0: Great answer. What is uh, something that you want your players to do that may go unnoticed by most people, but you think is important. So the the example that I give with every show is we, whenever I was a a high school and, and we coached catchers, I would always have them when it, like the first time that they went out there just to shake the umpire's hand and tell him his name and say, yes, sir. And, and then just to establish that relationship. Is there anything that comes to mind uh, that's similar to that?
1: I want them to wake up every day and to kind of attack their day, whether it be in the classroom, whether it be on the field, whether it be off the field, but I want them to attack, you know, each day. I want them to wake up and look in the mirror and when they leave their place, say, is somebody going to take me seriously today? If I walk in somewhere, is somebody? If I walk in the classroom and I sit down, am I going to be taken seriously? If I walk on the field, and and you know I attack pregame and I attack you know BP and I attack these, am I being taken seriously? Um, you know, if I walk into a restaurant and I have you know a Western shirt on, is somebody going to you know do I? Is somebody going to take me seriously? Um, and I kind of tell them that you know it's that whole process of. You know, the job interview. And, uh, you know, when you get up in the morning, I tell our guys all the time when you get up in the morning, uh, you know, when you show up late, when, you know, when you kind of just throw on some flip flops and some joggers and you got your socks tucked into your joggers and you've got a hood on or you got a sweatshirt on with a hood over top and it's 75, 80 degrees and you're the only idiot with a sweatshirt on, you know, how many people are taking you seriously? And, and I think that's the biggest thing is that we try to press upon our guys is that. I want them to to kind of look at every situation that they're in and and understand that, uh, you know, the way they present themselves, the way they talk, the way they communicate, uh, the way they walk in, that that first impression is always going to be probably the, the biggest tell on whether you're successful or not successful and to really kind of buy into that on a daily basis.
0: Love it. And then if if you could buy one book for, or, or just a resource in general for every listener on the show, what would that be?
1: Oh man, I'm not a big reader. So this is a tough question for me. I'm a more okay. of a, um, I don't really, oh man, um, you know, I think, you know, for me, the one book that I, that I, I mean, I've read more than one book, but. Um, I think the two biggest books that I've ever <laughs> that, that sounds terrible that, that really came out wrong. Um, I think the one was the Energy Bus. You know, I, one of my former players actually got me in on it. Uh, I say like Branca, who played shortstop here for us in 2011, 2012. He read it and was telling me about it. And this was years ago, but I read it, and that was a that was a good one because I think it kind of spoke to uh, you know just his personality and my personality. Um, And kind of what that looked like. Uh, You know, I I love I'm not a Duke basketball fan. Um, I'm more of a I'm a Carolina fan. But I think Mike Szeski, you know, I'm more of a a guy that reads books about programs. Um, I think that's I don't necessarily know the names of them or or things like that. But, uh, you know, I love the books about, um, uh, you know, programs and, and seasons, you know, you can kind of find those books and it kind of, you know, a championship run and it kind of starts on day one and kind of takes you through, you know, how they got to the point that they got to and, and those sort of things. Uh, so, you know, I, I think things like that, but uh, yeah, I mean, if I'm picking a book for somebody to read that, uh, that wants to kind of understand how it works from the top down and that you really have to have an expectation for yourself, if you're going to have an expectation for, uh, for anybody else, it'd be that.
0: All right. So I'm going to open up the mic for you. And first off, let me be, let me be the first to say that I really do appreciate your time. And I, I know that, that I've learned a ton today. I've, I've taken a ton of notes and, and really do appreciate just the, the depth that you went to today. So again, thank you for coming on and sharing, sharing yeah. so much with us, but I'm going to open up the mic for you and mute myself. And this is going to be the outro. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go?
1: No, oh, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing that that I've always tried to say is is you know for young guys, man, that, that are getting into this profession, um, just understand you know that the you know the relationship piece is one of the biggest pieces. I think when I look back on this whole thing, uh, it's going to be so much more about the relationships uh, than it was about anything else, and 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 that's really twofold for me because like I said, I've left some relationships on the table in, in my years, and those are the ones that I wish I could go back and and uh and rectify, do a better job with and and uh and, and stop that guy from walking out the door and those sort of things. But I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, you're coaching, uh, you know, I think what I started to learn uh that I was coaching somebody else's kids and, and how would I want somebody to identify with my kids. Um and it's a little bit different because I identify with my kids maybe differently than somebody else would. Uh but um so but I think that's the biggest thing, man, is, is grab onto those relationships and really grab on to to, to the people that you're around and, and um, obviously the coaches and, and that's, I've got some of the best relationships, uh, you know, with guys that, that work in the same profession as I do. And um, so, you know, I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to be able to, you know, sit down and kind of tell my story, uh, you know, and, and how we've gotten from point A to point B and, I'm interested to see what X, Y, and Z looks like because I'm closer to that than I am A, B, and C. But uh, but I'm always thankful for the opportunity to 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 continue to learn. I I mean, I listen to these things just as much as anybody does, and and uh, you know, pop them in the car, and you know, my son's playing. Uh, my son's play travel ball. So this gives me a great opportunity when I'm by myself to, to kind of pop in and, and listen to these things. And at 45 years old, still learn, uh, you know, from guys that are older than younger than me. And um, so I think the that all I think if one thing can come out of, of the negativity that uh, that we're dealing with right now, uh, you know, with the virus and, and other things is is how much information has been shared over the course of, uh, you know, this you know, April to, to August, uh, you know, type of deal, uh, is that, you know, the podcast and, and just the, the zoom calls and how much information guys have shared. And it really just shows the the level of community, uh, that, that baseball presents itself that, uh, just because it's our idea or because it was somebody else's idea, doesn't mean you can't share it and, and, and guys use it. I think, uh, it's one of the sports that, um, that growing the game is, so, is 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 so much at the at the top of guys' priority list, and I think you've seen that over the last uh, over the you know since the pandemic and since those things that everybody could have just kind of gone silent, but you know baseball coaches and baseball guys kind of stood up and, and still promoted the game, and, and, and I think the promotion of the game is always going to be the most important thing moving forward, and and, and that's what I'm really proud of uh, our community uh, and what's happened over the last uh four or five months so uh and thank you for the opportunity to jump on today and and i really enjoyed it and uh, would love to do it again sometime
0: thank you for listening to ahead of the curve you can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform which can include apple podcasts google spotify stitcher or youtube and if you're enjoying the podcast, Please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.